And amen. Okay, so uh, I won't be B before you long today because I just don't have much to tell you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> don't have much to discuss. Um, we're in the book of Acts chapter 8, following the Acts of the Saints. How do we live as royal priests? We're supposed to be after the order of Melchizedek. The Melchizedekian priesthood um, came before the Levites, before the goats and the sheep and the lamb. There was a Melchizedekian priest, a priest, king, and prophet that ruled. And this ruling was happening over and over and over again. Noah was one, Shem, um, who else? Uh, there's countless others before, I mean, after them, Adam. We did 10 all the way up to Christ. And uh, we can see uh, that when Christ comes and he gives us bread and wine as a part of communion, that this was the same practice of inducting new Melchizedekian priests in, into the priestly order. And so we see that Christ is saying he's going to drink his when he comes back to actually rule as king. But we are now uh, as placeholders, his body, moving throughout the earth. And I think it's a beautiful sentiment. And when we look at that from a spiritual perspective, it makes a lot of sense. We can see how these, this order of priesthood is carried on through us. But it doesn't really equate to how do we live daily. Amen? And so the Acts of, of the Saints, this series that we're on, we're on part eight today. The book of Acts starts to reveal that to us. And we've discussed a lot of things as it relates to that, um, to living like Christians, <laughs> like royal priests and what that looks like. We've looked at that for about eight weeks now. Uh, and some of that is included... Uh, the study of, of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it means to have the Holy Spirit, to be baptized, why the Holy Spirit is given, um, and, and what, is give, what he's given for the gift of the Holy Spirit, not simply a belief in Christ, which we talked about just moments ago. Uh, so today, if I had to subtitle this message anything, um, part eight, the Acts of the Saints, the subtitle would be Who can describe his generation? Who can describe his generation? Let's pick up at Acts chapter 8. Last week, we left off on Acts chapter 8 and studying the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, there was three narratives that we looked at that Acts chapter 8 really brought in three stories of individuals who came face to face with understanding and the reception of the kingdom of God. Um, one was a Samaritan woman. It took us back to the Old Testament. The other was, I believe, a lame man that was healed by Philip, right? And then lastly, it was, uh, no, it was, no, before that, it was the uh, Simon who attempted to buy the ability to baptize people in the Holy Ghost, <laughs> to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, then we looked at the Samaritan woman at the well and her understanding of the kingdom and lack thereof and how everything about what she desperately needed vanished when she received the kingdom. And we saw that and how she left the water pot. First, it was all about give me this living water. Give me, since I'm here to get regular water, but you tell me you got water that I won't ever thirst again, give me that water. And then when she hears that he is the Messiah and she believes that he's the Christ, she forgets all things about water for the kingdom. And it was brought to our attention that there are some of us who receive the understanding of who Christ is, but is not, have not received the kingdom. And the gospel message is two parts. 
it's one Christ Jesus is the Christ the soon coming king and two it is his kingdom that is now at hand and the second part the kingdom part is not the part that we readily understand and so on last week we discussed that Christ uses a Samaritan woman to say receiving the kingdom being a part a constituent of Christ's kingdom is like water that never runs dry it's like a, a spring that anytime you have a need for life-giving, sustaining things, it will just bubble up from the inside of you. And so the kingdom is then displayed by Christ to the Samaritan woman and to our hearing today as the kingdom is something that when you are low on life, when life is running low, and some of you don't know what it means to have life running low, but it, it's, it's those points where you don't even know why you do any of this. And what is the point of doing any of this? And why do I have to go through any of this? And, and I just want to stop all of this. And I will throw away the good and the bad. If you could just get it to end at any point, that would be great. These are individuals that are low on life. Hello? And so Christ equates this lack of the things that keep life moving as a not having the kingdom. So when Christ came and died on a tree, raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, that is true of the gospel, but it affords humans the ability to have life from the inside regardless of what is happening on the outside. Remember, the woman came to get water because she had a physical need. Hello? She never got any water, but she ran back because she had the kingdom. And this is the thing that Satan hates about the gospel. It's because it renders his tactics to tie you to him powerless because you are not so concerned about physical life-sustaining objects. I'm, tr I'm, try I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help somebody. The idea of kingdom is challenging, and we're going to look at that today. Uh, so let's look at Acts chapter 8, verses 32 through 33. Acts chapter 8, verse 32 through 33. Are you there? 8, 32? Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Now, this was the Ethiopian eunuch that we talked about last week, all right? We equated him to being a member of the LGBT community, and some of the people asked, why would you say that? And I said, because he was not a part of this, the sexual norm. All right. But he loved God. Nevertheless, as we discussed last week, that he would go to the temple knowing that he couldn't get in just to be around this kingdom. Now, he in his own right was very accomplished. Right. Very successful. But he understood what it meant to have a thriving kingdom. Number one, the kingdom and the queen that he served had pushed back the very Romans that overtook Jerusalem. Right. Pushed them so far back that now they had to be forced to be friends because they couldn't overtake him. So he knows what it means to have a thriving kingdom. So you can imagine that he has seen these Israelites and heard the story of the Israelites and said, now that, that's a kingdom. You mean a God runs their kingdom? A God runs it? Do you understand? Not just you have to pay homage to this God to get favor, but their God runs their kingdom. 
Now that's, that, he said, that's something. That's something right there. My queen, she'll die eventually. And the monarchy will be passed on and, and on and on and on and on and on. But, but their king is a god and he will never, ever pass on. And hello, somebody. And his day will always be a day. And how he rules will always rule. And if you're going to pick any kingdom, it seemed like that would be the one you would pick. And from what we see about the children of Israel, they did things no other nation has ever seen before. So you can imagine that he was in love with the idea of the kingdom of God. But according to Deuteronomy, he could never enter. He could never enter the temple. He wasn't allowed. Now Christ speaks on eunuchs like we talked about last week, right? He speaks on them and he says that there are some are eunuchs by birth, some are eunuchs by choice for the kingdom, and some were eunuchs made by man. He says, but if anyone has an ear, you need to hear this. So there are three types of people that remain sexually inoperable. One, people that are done that way by birth. All right? Two, other people that have been made that way, castrated. All right? And then three, people that choose it, and then Christ says for plainly, for the expansion of the kingdom. He says, this is hard to hear, but you need, if you can hear it, you need to hear it. One of the things about the martyr video that I thought was, was a twist, which we've never seen out of all the martyr videos, we've never seen the pastor say, you know what? To protect me and my kids and my family, I'm going to go ahead and quit pastoring. And it makes sense. You're a husband and a father first. You want to keep them safe. Now, in other videos, we saw pastors that raised their children ready to be persecuted, ready to, to serve God in such a way. We've seen those testimonies. This was not that. But he had a responsibility to his family first, right? And he, and he closed the church. Now watch that for us. I was like, dang, I'm so glad I ain't got no kids. You know? <laughs> it's a joke, but it's the reality. Is there so much more as afforded to me? I was talking to Brother Moses last Sunday. He was asking me, well, how did you become a pastor and why? And, and I said, you know, your story is going to be different than mine. I'm a female without any kids. If I go under persecution, it's just me, me and my puppies. That is all I have to worry about. If I don't eat, it's just me and my puppies. That is it. You will have a family with wife and kids, and the ball game is going to look uniquely different for your priorities than it will for mine. So I don't want you to compare how I live my life in ministry full out and think that you could also do the same because your life may be different. And your role in your family and your household is uniquely different. Hello, somebody. And uh, unfortunately, my current single status with no kids has been a choice. <laughs> has been a choice, amen? Because the one I love would prefer not that I, that I pastor, and oh well, I'm going to pastor. You should have married me before I started the church. <laughs> amen? All right. So in Acts 8, 32, is that where we were? When, from last week, when Philip is told by the Spirit of God to go to this Ethiopian's uh, caravan. He's the treasurer of the Queen of Ethiopia, which is massive, all right? And he, he overtakes his chariots, and he hears uh, the Ethiopian reading, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
Now, this is a quote from the book of Isaiah, the prophet of Isaiah, that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading. And so when Philip hears him reading this, he's like, do you understand what he's reading? And as we discussed last week, he said, no, he didn't understand. He said, how can I unless somebody teaches me? In essence, you can hear his anguish. I want to know. I've got questions about this kingdom, but I am not permitted to come into your temples where you learn. So I'm forced to be on the outside reading, trying to make sense of it for my, y'all don't want to help me today. Anybody been on the outside of what God is doing, forced to try to make sense of what is happening, what you're seeing, what you're going through, trying to read a little bit of scripture, trying to figure out if this goes with that, trying to read this and figure out if it goes with that. Ah! He says, I, I want somebody to teach me. Now, this is uniquely different than the kind of spirit of people I get. <laughs> I can people say, I know. I know. I mean, the tides are turning. We're getting more teachable people now, you know. But initially, I got a whole bunch of I knows. Maybe because I was a I know. Huh? Got a whole bunch of I know. I know this is what the Lord is saying. I know this is what the Bible is saying. And as, as, as we progress, I get more people that say, I don't know. Does this go with this or does this go with that? Should I listen to this or should I listen to that? Is this a reflection of this? Is this because God is this or God is that? Is this the enemy? Is this me? Is this? I don't know. And they long for someone to give them wisdom, guidance, and instruction. Hello? Because they know what it's like to be out there in them streets trying to figure it out for you. Like, uh. So the Ethiopian from last week, he says, my question is, is this particular scripture that the prophet Isaiah has written, is this about himself or is this about somebody else? And Philip is like, I'm so glad you asked. This is about somebody else. And that somebody else, he's actually been here. His name is Jesus. And he starts from this prophecy about the Christ and, and, and exposes all that Jesus went through. Exposes him as the lamb slain who spoke, who said not a word shows all the miracles and all the other prophecies and all the other books. As it got to the point where the, the Ethiopian said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean to tell me that this man, this prophecy has already showed up and his kingdom is already in forward momentum? And Philip is like, yes. So they passed by some water. He's like, well, if what you're saying is true, then a person like me could be in the kingdom. He said, here's a body of water. If you're telling me all I got to do is be baptized in some water, then. He said, all you got to do is be baptized, but you have to really believe that Jesus is the Christ with your whole heart. He said, I believe that with my whole heart. And he was baptized that day. What I'd like to draw your attention to, that was from last week, is something I want to pick up off of the heels on today. And that is that one verse, who can describe his generation? Now, biblically, and somewhat Webster Dictionary-ish, all right, in our modern language, generation is not necessarily about lifespan, okay? It's more so, a generation is defined by, biblically, uh, that which has been begotten, men of the same stock, a family, several ranks, of the natural descent, the successive members of a genealogy, is metaphorically a group of men very much like each other in endowments, pursuits, and character. 
metaphorically, a group of men, very, like, very much like each other in endowments, pursuits, and character. So a prophet Isaiah, from what the eunuch was reading, sees that the Christ comes and learns that he comes and he's led to the slaughter. Humbly. He says, because he was so humble in his humiliation, he didn't even receive justice. It's like, I'm going to be so low about this. And because I'm just going to let this happen in my life, I don't even get the reward of, of justice. He could have stood up for himself. He could have taken himself off the cross. He could have called for angels to come and stop all of this, and he didn't. He remained silent, and he'd done nothing wrong. Not, not one thing was done wrong. Brother Stefan and I talked about a theological concept the other day about the, the holiness of Christ. And the idea that because nothing was wrong on the inside, he had no iniquity on his inside. But the law that said anyone that hangs upon a tree is cursed. The law was external. The sin was nowhere in him. He was judged by wicked men to be found guilty and there was no guilt. So when Christ died, the benefit is that we get to curse sin to the flesh and not to the inner man because we have the spirit of God. The situation here is that many of us believe in Jesus but not have come into the kingdom. We have not been born again. We've had moral understandings. But we have not taken on a new nature. Hello, somebody. That new nature indicates very clearly that I am of the spirit of God and whatever I do is, is in the flesh. Like, let's say you pick up $5, you look around and be like, anybody lost $5, you put it in your pocket, come to find out next week, you run into the person that it was their $5 and they convince you of stealing. In your heart, you never meant to steal, did you? Right. The fault is still yours. You have to pay the $5, but there's no sin or iniquity in that action. That's a roundabout example of a very simple com uh, com uh, concept, all right? That Christ wants to bore us again by the spirit of God, by his spirit, to birth us again, so that what we do on the externality is just the flesh. It's situations that happen because we live in a fallen world, but they are not our intentions, nor are they what we are about by character. That's the goal. But most of us don't want to be born again. We just try to do all the changes on the outside. We try to wash the cup on the outside and not get it clean on the inside. All right? So let's, let's move on. So I love, he says, who can declare this generation, his generation? In essence, who can describe it? The type of people that will descend from Christ. The type of people that will come after him, born after his seed, in his generation. How do you describe such people who do well and then wrong is imputed against them? And then how do you describe such a people that don't rail against the people that are, that are doing this to them? I mean, I don't even have the kind of words to talk about the nature of the people that have to descend from him. They mean to do well, they're well as evil spoken of. 
they try with all their hearts and it, it's never good enough for other people or they, they end up getting the bad end of everything, suffering and, and torment and persecution. And then they just quietly handle it, go through it as if nothing is wrong. Who can describe this type of people? Because these his generation will have to look like him. They'd have to be led for the slaughter. Remember, my calling to pastor came from a verse, three verses that talked about feed my sheep for the slaughter. And I didn't recognize it until recently that why Renew is so unique is because I am here to cause you to live in quiet preparation for slaughter. Just as Christ was a sheep that was silent before his shearer. Y'all don't want to help me today. As he was led quietly to the cross. Hello, somebody. I am designing. This church is built on the concept that we are going to be like him, like in his generation. I'm trying to preach somebody happy today. In his generation. Well, we go through things. I remember I, I, had a bad, I have a bad case of shingles, like really bad, okay? It's probably my fault because I just let it get too bad. I kept thinking it would clear up, it would clear up, and then it got really bad, like healing over bad, you know? And um, the day before yesterday, Friday, I decided I'm going to buy the stuff I need from Ikea for the children's church. And if anybody ever been to Ikea, <laughs> it is a task all by itself. Okay? It's like one of my least favorite. It's like the Walmart of furniture for me. It's, it's too big. It's too much stuff. It's too much work. It's, you, you buy, you get your stuff, then you remember the numbers, then you go pull your stuff, then you go, you, you put it in the carts and then you haul the carts around with you and then you put them in the line. And my silly stuff went to the self-checkout line and I didn't know it was a self-checkout line until I got up there and I was like. And the other line is way too long. And I'm in this. Bleep, bleep, <laughs> and I get done checking out, and I said, yeah, where can I leave this? I'm going to have some men pick it up for me tomorrow morning. They said, we don't do that anymore. You have to take it with And through my shopping experience, the shingles is hurting so bad that I'm walking like this, and I don't even know how I'm looking at other people. And other people, you going to be all right? I was like, oh, I'm fine. It's just a little shingles. It's not a big deal. I'm like, it looks like a big deal. I didn't know I looked like that till you said something. <laughs> so I straightened myself up. I remember talking to Jewel about it, and she says, Pastor, it seems like stuff just don't let up with you. And a part of me back in the day would have been like, I know. It's so terrible. Now I'm like, no, not really. It doesn't. But oh, well. We are doing the kids' room yesterday, Pastor, you in pain? Yep. You want to stop? Nope. Why? Because we set this date for the children's church. The children's department is ready. My babies is ready. They're not going to flake on my account. No. It's not going to happen. To me, it's a part of the kingdom advancing forward in my small little sphere. If you can't be faithful over a little bit, babies, hello, somebody. You can't be faithful over anything. These are children. All right? How you treat a child matters. That determines if you get any other blessings. I'm trying I'm hello, somebody. Children and animals and people that are infirm, the weaker, that, that matters. 
You can't, you, it, I mean, they, don't, they can't defend themselves. What do you do with people that can't defend themselves and protect themselves and provide for themselves? It says a lot about you. Hello, somebody. And I can keep brushing the kids off, but I done put it off for far too long. Amen? So now I have time to pay the piper. Amen. All right, so Isaiah and the eunuch are now reading in Acts, who can describe his descendants? Who, who can understand how they operate? That's, they're, they're a whole other breed. And, and to be honest, what Satan can't stand is that. Is that what he tries to lure us and attach us to is not effective. And I keep telling you this over the years, but again, I have to say it one more time. It's things of the flesh and your, uh, your attachment to them that, make, that give Satan his power. When you recognize, for example, I'm not afraid to die. Does death have any power over you? But that's exactly what Christ came to do. He stole the keys to death and the grave because now you're not afraid to what? So even at the threat of death, you're like, well, that ain't no big deal. I get to go to heaven. I feel perfectly fine. So it removes the power that Satan would have to lure you to act in ways that are self-preserving, to act in ways that are evil and against the will of God. So the reason why some people can live free and others bound is because we've died to self. Y'all don't want to help me. We said a long time ago, well, if I got to suffer, I just got to suffer. Well, if it's going to hurt, it's just going to have to hurt. And not do we, we don't just sit there with the mully grubs about it, but we understand that this is a part of it. Come on, somebody. You know, what are, you, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you upset that your side hurts? Are you mad that God gave you shingles while all you're trying to do is the work of the Lord? No, but I can handle this while I push this cart and get these items because this is more important. What is coming up is far more important than the amount of pain I'm enduring right now. So I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't feel bad about it. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. I'm just going to hold my side and we're going to just be awkward for a second while we push through what needs to be done because that is far more important than the amount of pain that I'm currently in. You don't operate like that until you've learned to die to self. Until you jumped off that ledge. I remember when we went to South Africa and we had to go paragliding. That's when you strap a kite to your back and jump off a cliff. It's pretty much what it is. <laughs> With a straight jacket on. That's <laughs> pretty much all you're doing. And um, we drove up to the top of the mountain, which was dangerous by itself. Got up to the tippity, 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 tippity top. And there's tons of people, because it was a great day to apparently jump off a cliff. <laughs> and there's tons of people and tons of companies jumping off cliffs. And they're doing it so in your mind you're struggling with the ludicrousness of this and then the normalcy of it. It's like everybody's doing it, but it is also so insane. And you just sit there and you're next in line and you're still trying to... So many people are doing this. And this is still so crazy. Oh, it's my... Okay. Okay. So many people are doing this and it's still so crazy. 
so many people are doing this. And it's the, oh, you're strapping me in. So many people are, oh, you're really just click, 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 click. Oh, you're really, oh, give me instructions. Hold on to this. Don't do this. Do this. Run like this. Okay, so we're really doing this. We're really doing this. I'm just going to keep running. Just keep running until your feet come off the ground. Just, just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running. Run off the edge. Run off the edge. Just run clear off the edge of the mountaintop. The day before, all of us had bubble guts. That morning, we all was like, I don't want to eat nothing. <laughs> we got to the top of the mountain. We was in the bathroom. <laughs> Woo! But every person could attest, even from the eldest mama Jean to the youngest, that it is something liberating about the idea of running right off that cliff. It's something that makes you feel like, you know what? I could do anything. Like in my mind, I could set my mind to accomplish some of the craziest things at the face of death. This is why I like to plan on our trips, live, die experiences. That's what I call them. Well, the, live, die. We didn't have any in Seychelles because I think Seychelles was enough because some of y'all just died in Seychelles. But never, <laughs> you created your own live, die experience. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't there, it's none of your business. Don't worry about it. All right. Nevertheless, <laughs> DIY. <laughs> well, on every other trip, I create a live die experience where it makes you a challenge the idea of the fear that Satan tries to grip your life with. And when you recognize that you can accomplish that, then you come back home going, when I set my mind to something, it's nothing that can stop me, even the most critical thing can't stop me. And it's a part of the trip, and I love that aspect of it. I'm constantly looking for it, whether we're riding our open safari with lions right there, and no, 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 no fence, no cage, no, we're not in a truck high up, and it's just on a four-wheeler. Uh-oh, antelope. <laughs> Cheetahs, <laughs> don't go over there. You're just trusting the guide. Okay, see way, way over there? See, that's, that's a herd of cheetahs over there. See, oh, yeah. You want to get closer? No, 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 no. That's a, that's a herd of, what are them, rhinoceroses? I didn't think they was that dangerous, so he told us. He was like, you want to get closer? Uh-uh. You said they was that dangerous. I said, I thought they were sweet. They not. I'm saying right over here. We can go a little closer. Mm -mm, we good. Just the fact that there's no wall between us is fine. I'm trying to judge the speed of this bike and how fast they run. And I feel like I need to stay in the lead. I don't need to race them for my life. <laughs> I'm gonna keep the lead right here, right here. And luckily none of my team said, let's go. I was like, good, cause y'all smart. We ain't, <laughs> we ain't going, we good. We good right here, thank you so much. These experiences challenge what it means to live and it erases that chain, breaks that chain that ties you to the things of this world, mentally. And some of you were supposed to have salvation, was supposed to do that for you. Where you said, oh, it's for Christ. No matter what happens, I'm just gonna run off the cliff. And you did not. You tiptoed to the edge and just walk along the line. <laughs> like, this is what we're doing. Ain't we all doing the same thing? We just. 
this is Christianity, ain't it? This is what we're doing. This is this all you you just tiptoe along the line. Look, ooh, this is scary. Ooh. ooh, this is hard. Look at me. Oh, giving up stuff for the Lord. Oh, ooh. Ooh. I went 30 days. Ooh. Six months without sex. Look at me. Ooh. Right on the edge. Ooh. Meanwhile, the rest of us, you ain't going. So anytime Satan's on our heels, yeah. Anytime he's on our trail, yeah. Anytime we stuck between a rock and a what, yeah. We just run off. Yeah, so good. Meanwhile, you're oh, 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 it's Satan. Oh, where can I? What can I do? Oh, it's the enemy. Oh, it's gonna hurt too much. Oh, how do I not survive? Oh, it's the enemy. This is. It's got to be exhausting. Especially if you were built to fly. Living so beneath your privilege. And then you come to me, tired, out of breath, battered, low on life. And I have the auspicious task of trying to convince you to jump off a cliff. There's no way I could survive my life like that. There's no way I could live like that. There's no way I could go through life, never married. There's no way I could, I'm not, I'm not pointing at you because I don't think I'm going to get married. I don't want you to think I was probably, probably trying to be prophetic. You know? You're like, Pastor, I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> I mean, I know I make mistakes, but God, Pastor. <laughs> I'm dodging now. Hold on. No, put your head up here, Jewel. <laughs> Let me lay hands. <laughs> but the task of trying to convince you to jump off a cliff into nothing, into what everything in you says could not work, could go wrong, could not be for you, and to say, no, trust me, follow me, I'm pretty sure that this is going to work out well. So just in case you're wondering, look, I'll do it too. Christ says, I'll do it too. I'll do it too. Now I'm going to get other people to do it. Now look, your pastor doing it. Here you go. That was close. I almost really gave in to the spirit of God on that one. I almost really, almost already had an experience. Oh, <laughs> you know how y'all do, y'all be a doctor. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, something's happening. Oh, 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 I don't know yet. I haven't decided. Stop pushing me. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, all right. I'm not going to push you. Golly. Meanwhile, you getting old. Meanwhile, you getting old. These, these times that you were just contemplating it, baby, you ain't even in your 20s no more. You about to lose all your, me and Brother Tory came in today. I was grunting to get out the car. Ugh. 
Ugh. He was like, pastors, I'm over 40. So I was like, shut up. <laughs> have you noticed that I have shingles? But yes, it is because I'm over 40. <laughs> Time is ticking. You, you done used up all your young years when you were strong for stupid stuff. Now you had the same requirements of life, but now you old, achy, you need a nap. You got <laughs> what we gotta do, we go, okay, hold on, let me just, let me just pull my 15 minutes. What we doing, church? Okay, give me 15 minutes. Man, I overslept Bible study the other week. <laughs> The leadership is supposed to show you how and what situations you have to just jump off that cliff. <sighs> to encourage you when it's your turn. <sighs> but some of y'all are so slow. You got your little backpack on, your little parachute. Yeah. And what, it, what you don't know is the more you study it, the, hard, the scarier it is. Some of you think about how terrible it could be so much that you have psyched yourself out of ever actually doing it. Like you think more about the pain that you're going to face or you could face than the joy of actually flying. I mean, if you would have thought more about how good you would feel when you fly and less about how scary if it goes wrong, you might have had the courage to jump off. That's, that's why I tell people when you fall into these old crazy sins, you don't want to be in there too long. You can't, you can't be in there too long. Why? Because the pain of what you're going to have to give up starts and the fear of everything you got to go through. Starts, starts, it starts getting into a place where it, 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 it immobilizes you. Now you over here looking scary about simple things. Yeah, I talked to her. I, yes, it's Misha. We're so excited. Okay, amen. Amen. Now you're so scared about simple things. Things that you should be able to do in your life with God. But you've been stuck in this turmoil for so long that the fear of the possible pain has gripped you. Which is why I told you to hurry up and leave it alone quickly. Oh, oh. Uh, uh. Look, maybe I wasn't meant to do this because other people would do it. I, I'm just not meant for that. Everybody got the same parachute. Same kite. Same legs. We run till we can't run no more. And we fly. Same setup for everybody. No, I'm just built different. In what way? But this line that you've been teetering for so long has caused you to think about everything about yourself you created a different identity for yourself look you stood on this line so long you actually start to believe that you was not made like regular humans so you're supposed to be leaping off the edge but you can see in yourself how you've allowed things and attachments to the earth to paralyze you Hmm? You haven't developed the new nature. And sometimes we don't have the new nature, but we're silly enough to follow somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, these people did not want to go paragliding initially. Nope. But they're like, Pastor, if you'll do it, we'll, we'll do it. 
So they were silly enough to follow somebody else in order to get the benefit of what they always wanted that they didn't even know they wanted till they did it. But see, now you got two problems. You're too scared to jump, and you're not smart enough to follow. Now you got two problems. You, you, you contemplate this, then reworked your identity, and then you can't even follow the person that you were designed to follow to help break you from that. You're afraid I'm trying to change you into somebody you're not. I am. I'm trying to change you to somebody you're supposed to be, which is who you are not. That's why we have conflict. Hello, somebody. You're trying to remain the same, and I'm trying to change you <laughs> by the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's go. Let's, let's, let's continue. Um, so who can describe this generation? Who can describe the descendants of God? Like this, who? These people. Let's move on. Let, let me show you. Let me show you. Let's go on to chapter 9. In chapter 9 of Acts, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is 9 verse 1. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues uh, of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, you guys, this is Saul, who later became Paul. So I'll just kind of give you the story quickly. Um, Saul was present when they, when they martyred Stephen, the first martyr. that We looked at back and think around maybe chapter 5 or so. And the witnesses that lied on Stephen laid their cloaks down at Paul's feet. Saul, all right, who later became Paul. Saul was an avid Jew. He was a lover of God. He took serving God and defending God personal. And he didn't like the uprising of these way people, these Jesus followers. The threat that it imposed upon Jerusalem and, Israel, and Israeli tradition, they didn't enjoy that. And he went with the leaders of his day, and him being a Roman official could carry out the need to squelch this uprising. So Saul is still breathing threats. Everybody knows him to be the Roman guard that can get stuff done. He's the hand, the puppet, and the strong arm of the Israel leaders, of the Jewish leaders of his day. He's their Roman strong arm. He's the one that can get documentation to make sure whatever needs to happen, happens. He's present at all the, the martyrdoms or the, the torments and the sufferings and the tortures. And he says he wants to go to Damascus because he heard there's a great movement of, of those people in the way there. He says, I need a letter, and I want to bring all those people to Jerusalem so that you guys can judge them too. Let's wipe this out. Let's get this done. On his way to Damascus, the Lord appears to him in such a bright light. Let's look at that. And he says, verse 3 of chapter 9, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick 
against the golds. Stop right there. This is tough. Saul is running to get letters to persecute more Christians. Let's just keep reading, and then let me go back, because I think it would be easier for me. All right? He says, why are you kicking against the goads? So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Then he said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to, into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Okay. He, he saw the Lord, sort of speak. He saw the light emanating from the Lord, just how he chose to present himself. And the Lord asked him, why are you persecuting me? And remember, he's been persecuting the followers of Christ, which is his generation. This is seed. You see them, you see me. All right? Says, you're persecuting me. He said, well, what do you, what, tell me, what do you want me to do? Yeah, he's not even aware. He's like, Saul, why are you kicking against the gourds? Now, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's, very, it's worth repeating. A gourd or a prick is the rod that is used to poke cattle. All right? It's used to poke cattle when they need to go in a certain direction for two reasons. They need to go in a certain direction like you're plowing, and you need them to stay on the line. Or you're trying to gather them, all right? And it's a little bit painful, all right? Or maybe a lot of it, all right? And so Christ then asks Saul, why are you kicking against the prick? I'm using this to gather, and you are fighting against what I'm using to gather. You're fighting against what I'm using to lead you in a certain direction. Y'all want to help me preach today. Now remember, the prick is painful. This thing hurts. It hurts when I try to give it up. It hurts when I try to let it go. It hurts when I try, come on, when I try to move on. It hurts when I can't have. It hurts when I have to face it. It hurts when I have to deal with it. This thing hurts every single time. And so what are you doing? You're trying to get rid of the hurt. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You keep trying to get this thing to stop hurting. Maybe if I do more of it, maybe I can find some way that I can just deal with it. Maybe this is just how my life is supposed to be. And you keep trying to find ways to deal with and remove the hurt. Why y'all won't help me preach today? Somebody need to say, shout amen. That's a shouting amen part. Hello. Y'all quietly contemplating. You like, hey. Get out. Did you kick it against the prick? I've designed something that when you go in a certain direction, it brings you pain. 
Every time you go over there, it's going to hurt. Every time you try it, it's going to hurt. Every time you veer a little bit, it's going to hurt. Every time you try some of it, it's going to hurt. No matter what you do, it's going to hurt. And rather than you go in the direction I want you to go, you keep trying to fight against the thing that is causing you pain. When I've designed that thing in your life, that it might gather you, that it might give you instruction and direction. I, I, I let this pain. I, I got the prod. And I am poking you. You try to get comfortable in it? You try to act like it's fine? Pastor coming on Sunday? It's going to keep poking you. You think, why can't I just want the pain to stop? Don't kick against the thing that he designed. Go in the direction he's been trying to get you to. You can't kick again. You, can't, it's still, you are hurting yourself more by kicking again. You're hurting yourself more by fighting against the thing God is using to put you where you need to be. You're hurting yourself more because you're fighting against the direction I want you to go in. I'm trying to lead you over here to gather you to a safe place, to get you to expand and plant seeds in the kingdom of God, to break up fallow ground of other people's lives. But you won't go. Because when I poke you to go in the right direction, now, have you ever seen a, a herder with a prod? They don't always have to poke. Sometimes they go... Hey, 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 this works some of the time for some, help me preach, it works some of the time for some of the people, but there are some cattle that are so stubborn, they some cattle that are so bent on going in a certain direction, that got to have the what they want, the way they want it, that a little ain't gonna work that little hey 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 ain't gonna work and then you want to look at me like pastor why are you poking me pastor why are you prodding me pastor why are the words hitting me why is it beating me up because don't work for you so he says why are you kicking against the gourds why are you kicking why are you fighting against the pain that i derived i created to keep you in a, in a good zone. Hello, somebody. I don't know you think there's a way to get around it. If you did, you wouldn't belong to him. He's created the pain to say, don't go that way. Now, did it have to be painful? No. Your personality type. <laughs> Hello? Your personality type is what made this painful. Hello, somebody. Listen, you know, I've done drugs before. And I've done some things before, and you know, I am the type of person that when I feel it's gone too far, I retreat. Some of y'all not like that. You go too far, you be like, I ain't gonna be no punk though, and you just keep going, you just keep. And then you can't figure out why it's gotta be hard for you. 
You are the type that says, I'm going to keep going because I'm not going to be a punk. I'm not going to give it. You, I, it's not how I feel. I'm about to see this for myself. I'm going to try it for myself. You, you that type. You want your truth to be certain. and You understand? So you want to explore everything. Okay, yeah, yeah, this is definitely the way to go. All right, all right. I know you think everybody's like that. They're not. Some people are like, no, what you say is the right way. And when I go over there, what's going to happen? Yeah, no, nah, I don't need to go over there. I'm fine. No, no, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. I don't even know if we need to go over there. You're not that person. There's parts of you that won't believe until you experience it for yourself. So then when you say, but why does God have to poke me with a prodder and poke me with a... Because you won't believe me. Hello? Now, another individual like this is, is, is Saul, who then becomes Paul. And I asked myself, what was Paul, what pain was Paul in? This is something we don't ever look at. But to say that there was a gourd that was poking him or a prick that was being used means that Paul was in conflict. We see him seeing the light as the day of his, his coming too. But we don't recognize is the entire time that he's out here persecuting Jews, I mean Christians, he's in conflict. The entire time he thinks he's doing the right thing, but it's not resting in him. It doesn't settle. You know how you try to convince yourself that surely God wants this for me. And, and maybe it is okay for me. And, and maybe this is fine for me. And, and it's not technically a sin. And I'm not really doing that. And you know how you try to settle in something. And there's always seems to be some type of uneasiness. You say it's me, so then you stop listening to me and you still have it. He says, his pastor's voice, no, 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 no. That's the Holy Spirit with a prick. Pricking you to go in a different direction. Hello, somebody. Uh-huh. Paul had conflict. Because the analogy used was that he was trying to fight against the thing that was causing him pain to gather him in. Paul, now you know. There might be some merit to this. Huh? You know. You know you don't like this. Some don't seem right about this, but you know, well, what is what am I supposed to do? And so what does he do? Go full throttle. He don't even want to stay in Jerusalem now. Oh no. He want to go to Damascus and get other people. Now, you know what? Just forget everything. I'm just going to go full throttle. Ain't that what you do? I don't like the conflict I feel. So I'm going to go even harder. Hello? Am I preaching to anybody in this? I don't like how bad I feel, so let's turn it up more liquor. I don't like how I feel, let's turn it up more weed. I don't like how I feel, let's get another number. Let's have another booty call. I just can't deal with this. And just full throttle ahead. You expect that at some point you will become numb to the pain. You expect that at some point I'm going to get so, so low in this. Come on, I know I'm preaching. That you don't even recognize it no more. That day has never come. It's never come. You know how I know? Because you're sitting here. You thought my last fiasco was going to go as low as I could go, and then I won't even feel it no more. Nope. Still feel it. 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 Then you call me, ow! Ow! 
All I can tell you, jump, baby. Jump. Run in the direction he's pushing you. Run in the direction he's telling you to go. Don't, don't do this. Run in that direction. Hello, somebody. Paul had to deal with the idea, or Saul, had to deal with the idea that he has been in conflict. He has been in conflict so bad that the Lord shows up. And when he sees God, his experience with the word of God, literally, that's what he's hearing, all right, that so much light blinds him. Now, when you are changed, Truly, you take on a new nature. When you jump off that cliff and no longer teeter that line, you can't see. Every real Christian that has been born again cannot see. You literally have to take them by the hand and lead them through what Christianity is and how to live as a Christian. Sister Mia is there right now with me. She can't see. I'm sorry, I'm using you as an example. Is that okay? Okay, sorry, I should have asked you for him. But it's all good. But she comes to me and she says, Pastor, I, I don't know what to tell me what to do. I say, this is a new convert. She probably believed in Jesus, but she really, really has been changed, touched by the Spirit of God. Now she's saying, I can't see. What I used to think about, I need to do with my life. I don't think I should do that anymore. But then what should I do? Where should I go? How should I live? Who? Ah! Ah! Yeah, that's right, pastor. The pastor's job is to take that individual by the hand. I'm to your sister again. Thank you. And to lead them. <laughs> she doesn't tug on me the way you tug on me. She was like, I'm going to suck every anointing out of you in this very moment. <laughs> like, Joel, stop. <laughs> I can feel that. <laughs> right? But you can, take them, you can take her by the hand. And you can lead them through life. Now, this is temporary because in three days he gets a sight. <laughs> this leading is temporary because how you know the world around you has now going to automatically been changed. And most of you have not had that experience. You believe in Jesus, but you have not been born again. Remember, born again looks like whew, rocking off the edge of a cliff. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever the Lord does, he does. But you can break your neck. You can be brokenhearted. You can, it can hurt. It can never, you can just, you can, oh, you can lose your job. Your whole life. He's going to have to catch me. What about your family? And what do people think? And this and that. That is what it looks like. Anything short of that is just you walking the edge of the cliff. Oh, Ooh, this Christianity is hard, isn't it? The rest of us looking at you like, not really. <laughs> like, we're not, we can't even talk the same kingdom language. Because everything about living is a struggle for you. When I feel it, but then I, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm a little rude. I be playing, ha, 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 it's like your mind. <laughs> I'm still going to jump. <laughs> That's why you hear me say stuff like, even if I don't get the house, even if I don't get married, 
il va dans. Whatever happens, happens. I tell you these things so you can see and have someone that you can follow that you learn how to, how to jump off the cliff. So that you're not tethered by the fears of what you don't have, what you're not going to get, what you need, how is it going to work out, how you're going to be alone, by yourself, destitute, no money, no this. Catch that wind. Hello, somebody. Catch that wind. Paul, Saul, his name is Saul, soon to be Paul, is then blind for three days and he starts praying. Duh. He fasts and he prays, right? God speaks to Ananias. It tells Ananias, listen, I want you to go to a man in Damascus. His name is Saul of Tarsus. And I want you, he's blind. I want you to lay hands on him. I want you to heal him. Let's look at that verse. Verse 11 of chapter 9. So the Lord said to Ananias, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many Heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, look at this verse. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Let's just stop at that verse right for a second. He's a chosen vessel. Out of all the pots in the room, I need someone that has the training and the passion to go before Israel. He has the wherewithal to go before the kings. And he can also talk to the Gentiles. Hmm. Which vessel has been built for that? You. You. You, 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 you. Misha, I'm looking at you. You, 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 you. Did I, you, you. Make sure I didn't miss anybody. Legend, legacy, you and you. Taylor. Apparently, the down badness of your stubbornness has driven you into other places that the Lord has overseen in your Roman career, has driven you to places that the Lord has overseen in your sinful life, has driven you to places, and he is now poking and prodding you to make you uncomfortable in that direction because he's now chosen to use, y'all don't want to help me, 
And see, it was fine for a while, but now you're getting poked more often. Now it's getting more uncomfortable for you to even go down that road, think about that, endure a little bit of that, just test a little bit of it. Now it hurts even more because now you have been chosen. Selected. I need someone in this hour to go before the king, the Gentiles and the Jews all in one swipe. Hello, somebody. And he says, I'm a, I pick Saul. Now, Ananias is like, can you imagine me, Ananias? So you want me to go to the man that's killing everybody and tell him about you. When, when I tell him about you, he's going to kill me. And you want me to go tell him. Do you know the things that he be doing? <laughs> what does Ananias do? Yeah. <laughs> not only does he do it, but Barabbas has to do the same thing because none of the other apostles want to fool up with him. Barabbas <laughs> takes him under his wing. And then eventually the apostles start teaching him. And, and, and so now everybody's trusting him, but oh my God, do you know what it takes? <laughs> Excuse me, you're going to go right to the one that it would appear, it would appear, watch this, has your fate in his hands. But when you are used to jumping off cliffs, come on, somebody. When you are used to jumping off cliffs, come on, somebody. Ain't no Roman king can kill me unless God tell it's time for me to go. Can't nobody do nothing to me. When you're used to jumping off cliffs, then you don't mind going to the next thing because it's not Saul that has my life in his hands. If need be, I'll just fly. If need be, I'll just soar. <coughs> Come on and bless the name of the Lord. And Ananias is living that New Testament priesthood. You want me to do what? All right. If it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Go talk to who? All right. No fear about what this man could do to him once he realizes this is what God wants. Whatever happens, happens. If you want to use me, then Paul turns around and turns on me, and oh well. See, that's not how non-converted think. They think, what you mean, oh well? <laughs> then you could die. Then you could be hurt all the time. You could be in prison. What you mean, oh well? Anybody, let me show you, let me show you. Let me show you. Ananias wasn't thinking like that. He heard God say it. He went and did it. Period. Can you imagine what his folks were saying? Baby, you can't go for it. God told you to go who? You sure? Let's, let's move on to verse, um, what was that? Verse 9, chapter 9, verse whatever. <laughs> Look at 16. Verse 15 says, for go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Stop right there. This is the description of Jesus' generation. How can you describe his descendants? How can you describe the children of God? 
They are those who are aware of the suffering they must go through to bear his name. See, somebody got y'all confused when you got saved. You, what, so what? You, you, your descendants is the ones that bear the better, they bear your name, and this is the amount of suffering. The suffering. Who would, who would sign up to be a part of a generation when they tell you you're going to suffer? It would seem to me when you disclose this bit of information the entire movement of Christianity should decrease. Hi, when you sign up to join us, don't you want to be a part of us? What do you do? We suffer every day for the, to, name, to bear the name of Christ. Satan comes after us all the time. We never get a break. It's just constant warfare on every front. You know, but God is good. Come. Some of y'all are even going, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't want to do that at all. I know, Pastor, because sometimes we preaching that, I'd be like, I didn't sign up for the right class. In your heart, most of us go, uh, what? And some of y'all just think, Pastor's got bamboozled. See, the Lord was real good to her, schmoozed her. Now she go through all of this suffering, you know, because she just, she loved him. It's too late. Now she's stuck with him. But I got a choice. I ain't really sure on all this suffering Christianity thing. I could tell you think you got a choice because you kick against the prick. You struggle and fight to go in a direction that God does not have for you. You literally fight to go in that direction. How do I know? Because that direction causes you pain and yet you still try to go. It's not God's direction that causes you pain. It's not God's direction that is causing you pain. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You keep saying it's your conflict with, it's not God's direction that is causing you pain. It is the fact that you don't want to go in God's direction is why it is painful. It is not the fact that you're trying to go in God's direction that is causing you the pain. What's causing the pain is the fact that you don't want to go in his direction. When you want to go in his direction, the pain ceases. The pain ceases. All you did to deal with is soreness from what caused you pain, but you're not constantly being poked or provoked because that's not a good father. Hello, somebody. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. The only reason it hurts is because you don't want to go in his direction. And sometimes you convince yourself that the struggle is trying to do God's will. No, you're struggling because you're not doing his will. When I do his will, I get help. I get wind. I get wind under my... I get strength with shingles. Come on, somebody. When I try to do God's will, I don't know what you experience. I get assistance. Hello, somebody. I get somebody's car broke down. Oh, well, I guess we can't meet. Thank God, because I didn't know what I was going to say. You know, oh, the phone didn't connect. Oh, thank you, Lord. I need to back out of that. See, when I try to do God, I get assistance. See how Satan be lying to you? You be taking up them lies? You be like, yeah, I'm struggling trying to do God's will. No, you struggling because you're not doing God's will. If there is some sweat breaking out on my forehead, if my neighbor becomes a Karen, whew, wind, 
here's some, here's, here's some help, some grace to do a difficult thing. Why aren't you having any grace in your life? It's because you don't want to do it. And why don't you want to do God's will? Because you have not been born again. You haven't adapted a new nature. Hello, somebody. Huh? No? Okay, I'm going to go back up here. I'm going to go back up here. And the message today, from Thursday night to this morning, how this message was going to turn out was bombarded by all kinds of voices. I spoke to Minister Monifa this morning. I had some dreams back on Thursday. I spoke to Brother Henry. I spoke to Sister Lamisha. Talked to different ones throughout the week. In my spirit, I felt there was one direction that I needed to go. But I could feel the pressure to achieve a different direction. At the end of the day, I got in my car, headed here, came to church. It's going to be whatever you want it to be. I'm not going to fight you to go in one direction. It ain't got to be my way. It don't have to be Monifa's way. The struggle is not between what is the who, how. The struggle is whatever you want, and we will do whatever you want. And I realized I was making it a big deal. What direction do you want to go in? How do you want me to? And I could feel the stress building up about what you want me to do. How you want me to handle it? Is it this? I'm trying to figure out that. What is, and I was like. What I decided to do that, Henry showed up. Lamisha showed up. Everybody that was on my heart and mind. I talked to Jesse this morning. I'm like, you know what? I should do this all the time. <laughs> These are my blessings. This is what encourages my heart. What brings joy to my life. It's about that you can be encouraged and set in the right direction with a rather than a Hello, somebody. Now, I, read, I tried to think to myself on this part. For I will show him what he must suffer to bear my name. And who? Why would you? Like, if, you, if, if the Lord came to me and be like, yes, these are all the things that you're going to have to go through. Tons of pain. People are going to chase you stone you, beat you, imprison you. First of all, let's just start off with a nice blinding for three days. Wondering if you ever see again. Let's start with that. That was your induction. Right? Wondering if your life will ever be the same. Let's start with that. Let's, let's talk about all the things you will suffer. And I was thinking to myself, and then I had to ask the Lord, but why would anybody pick no offense. You, you, this is a terrible marketing campaign for our movement. I think the disciples felt the same way, which is like, I'm going to have to go die on the cross. They was like, whoa, see, stop all this crucifixion talk, man. You, you losing followers. I get that. Like, stop all this suffering talk. Hey, singers, sing more songs about blessings. Sing more songs. Come on. Bye-bye pain. So long. Bye-bye suffering. Bye. I was, you know, 
I knew the message when y'all was singing the song. I was like, this is funny. <laughs> Let's keep singing it, though. So long. Bye-bye, pain. I was like, hello, pain. <laughs> Bye-bye, pain. I was like, <laughs> that was a Jew thing. <laughs> because that makes us feel better. Come to Jesus. No more pain while you're living on this earth. It's never in the Bible. The removal of pain is after. The whole gospel hinges on the truth of Come and join me in the fellowship of my sufferings. Join you. You want us to be suffering together? Like, I feel like you suffered. This is how we preach the gospel in black church. Christ suffered so we don't have to suffer. That's not accurate. That's not biblical. The message is preached. Hey, Christ suffered. He did nothing wrong. But he's the king and God of all. His kingdom is coming. Let's be a part of his kingdom. Now, for you to be a part of his kingdom right now, you're going to have to suffer a lot. Why? Well, he suffered a lot to even bring his kingdom here. So until he actually comes to full effect, you're going to suffer a lot. But we still want your board. That's, that's the real gospel. Martyrs. People dying just to bear the name of Christ. To be associated and affiliated. When Harry walked in the door, I said, that's my friend. I associate myself with him. Whatever he does, I'm a part of it. I vouch for him. I rock with him. I fool up with him. That's it. Whatever, whatever he does, I'm with him. I may not like everything, but that's okay. He don't like everything I do. We fine. I'm with him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Done. You see him, you see me. Hello, somebody. So when you bear the name of Christ, you rock with him. Now, why would somebody pick this when they tell you it's going to be suffering? And you see it. And then it looks weird because you all are jumping off a cliff, but everybody seems really excited to do so. It seems like everybody is lining up to suffer, but they're so excited about suffering <laughs> that it makes people go, are y'all crazy? You've been sipping the Kool-Aid? This don't seem normal. I said, well, who would choose this? In essence, the red pill or the blue pill? And I thought to myself, anybody seen the movie The Matrix? The first one, I didn't get to the rest of them, but the first one, right? right? The first one. And it was all about taking the blue pill or the red pill in order to differentiate to come out of the matrix. And when they come out of the matrix, they realize they're pretty much in a computer simulated world. And the reality of what they really are is just batteries plugged up, right, for the world that used to be. Hello? And when they get unplugged, their real life is horrible. They eat mush, no real food, no good food. It's hard to have babies. People is dying all over the place. You're running for your life everywhere you go. The Sentinels is always after you. Everybody's dressed in gray and tan, and there's no sense of fashion at all. And it's just horrible. And the only time they even spruce up is when they go back into the Matrix, and they put on some real fly clothes. And then they, you know, they be looking all good in the Matrix. But then when they come out of reality, it's just slop. Just, just, just slop. Every, just, oh. Now, there was one character in the Matrix movie. You remember him, the man with the bald head and the little, yeah, yeah. little, little thing right here, little, little, little thing here, right here? 
He kind of talked like, he looked real sly. You remember him? He had a bald head, I think. Yeah. He wanted to stay in the Matrix. He came out the Matrix. Hello? Thank you, Cyrus. Cyrus came out the Matrix and was like, See, I've been, I've been chasing these, been chased by these enemies all this time. We eating this oatmeal mush. It, I mean, it, what difference does it make if my mind believes that it's real? And he wanted to make a deal to go back into the. Y'all remember this? Now you remember how you looked at him and thought, "You little traitor, huh?" But if I don't recall, you've been making some deals that you could live in an alternative reality just to avoid the amount of suffering that the way has required of you. Oh, go ahead and say, you can say amen. amen. Yes, you can. May you felt this. You're like, ah, oh, give me to do something. <laughs> you say amen. You can do it by yourself. You ain't got to wait on them. <laughs> it's the truth. He wanted to go back because what is living if I'm always miserable anyway? I was better off. Oh, I'm preaching. I was better off taking this pill. At least I had. At least I felt. Even if it wasn't real. Come on now. Even if it wasn't real, at least. Come on now. This is how Satan beguiles you because you were supposed to die to the flesh. So that he can't lure you back into the matrix with your silly self. So I thought to myself and talked to the Lord. It said, this is, you've got to be a crazy person to want to be out here fighting in the reality when you could just waste away plugged up. But that's exactly what you were doing. You're wasting away, plugged up into Satan's world. Year after year, you struggle, day after day, all because you refuse to let go. You refuse it. You know it's not right. There's glitches in the system, but whatever. The alternative is too much pain. I didn't like living out there. And I thought, okay, well, well then, yeah, if the mind doesn't know that the matrix isn't real and it feels real to it, then who wouldn't want to be over there? And what do the people that unplugged really gain? Anybody ever thought that? No? Well, I'm going to think it for you. They get to be authentically who they're supposed to be. Now, hold on for a second. You're plugged up, getting your Satan fix for the week. Hello, somebody, for the month. Living in this fantasy because you know it ain't real. You know you're going to have to pay the piper at some point. You know it's, come on, somebody, you know. Hello, you know this is you just taking a vacation, just taking a break from church, taking a break from this. You You know. You know what you're doing right and even though you're moving in the matrix you just feel like I just can't be right and some of you get over there for so long you realize this is stupid and then you want to unplug right then you come over here and I say and the Bible says suffering we're going to suffer we're going to join him in the fellowship of his suffering our world is gray and drab and we eat mush and we don't even care about it 
but it's true and it's real and it's right. What value is reality to a dead soul? You can't fathom how good real is when you are spiritually dead. You're walking dead. To you, living is terribly, is not as good as dying wonderfully. You'd rather die beautiful, come on somebody, than live suffering. I can't convey to you how you're supposed to be born again because it will seem foolish. Like who would choose that? And if my mind doesn't know the difference, then that's all that matters. So to you, the only thing that matters is how you relate to things. Doesn't matter if it's fake or real. So you can be completely schizophrenic and you're fine. Doesn't matter if everybody around you and everything around you is not really what it is. Truth and honor and nobility are not valuable to you. How you feel is. How you feel matters most. Not honor, not truth, not nobility, how you feel. Because who would choose to feel bad? Then I thought, well, Lord, you're not really selling this Christian thing. We're not going to get many believers if with this whole suffering. I know why we don't preach about it very much. Because nobody wants to be a part of it. We're trying to trick them into it. But then they come over here, and then we set up things, and it requires suffering, and they're like, why would I do that? And then they leave. So church ends up having a revolving door. Yes, that's what I want. And this is not what I want. Yes, it's what I want. This is not what I want. Ugh. But I can't blame them. I wouldn't want to come over here for suffering. Or would I? See, the thing about truth is this the only thing that allows you to be real? There is no greater torment than not being authentically yourself. To be in a body that you can't function, tormenting. To have to uphold an image you can't maintain, tormenting. Hello? Now, some of you think it's the image of God that is tormenting. No, it is your image that is tormenting you because you won't let go of your image in order to be free for God, who he actually created you to be. Because what you have to recognize is you were created as a vessel. You didn't just arrive. You were painstakingly fashioned and formed. Come on now. You were formed and fashioned, right? which means he had something in mind. And anything you do that is short of what he has in mind will always be prison. But Satan says, well, I'll give you this thing here. Plug up to this. So at least your prison won't feel like prison. But you're not really moving. The steak you're eating, it's not really steak. The life you're living, it's not really the life you're supposed to be living. And for some, that's fine, right? And so I said, okay, Lord, well, why do we have to suffer 
to be in your kingdom. And it's something very simple. He said very plainly, you don't know who you are until there's pain. I said, excuse. He says, because the false reality, the matrix that you keep plugging into changes who you are. So you think you're eating a steak? You're not. You start believing that you are this person in the matrix. Come on, somebody. You start believing that you're money hungry. You start believing that you're gay. You start believing that you're an alcoholic. You start believing that you're a whore. You start believing that you can't get nothing right. You start believing it because that's what you plugged into. He says, but nothing really shows you who you are until there's pain. The situation with the matrix is Satan keeps trying to give you pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure to distract you to ever question who you really are. Hello? And so Christ says, well, I want you to come over here. But it ain't going to be no glitz. It ain't going to be no glam. It's going to be shingles. It's going to be Karens. It's going to be death of your mother. It's going to be heartache. It's going to be financial issues. It's just be slam after slam. Your aunt's in the hospital. You're hurting. Every day, bam, 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 bam. Right. Now, how did you respond? See, in the matrix, you respond one way. But in reality, how did you respond? So everybody peers down. What does she do? Oh, no, nah, she's living, living. She li no, she's living. Is she hurting? She's hurting. But she's living, living. Nothing shows you who you really are like pain. Stub your toe, what come out your mouth? Who you really are. Somebody breaks your heart, what do you do? Who you really are. Can't have your way, how do you act? It's who you really are. Get tired of something, what do you, who you really are. Nothing but discomfort. Good things doesn't do that. Good things don't tell you who you really are. Hello, somebody. Good things shape you to be something else. Good things shape you to be someone else. Don't you want this? What about it? you want a little break? Here, take this little crack. Now you're a crackhead. You want a little break? Take this little sex. Now you're a fornicator. You want this little break? See, the good starts shaping you to become that thing. But pain only reveals who you really are. Come on, y'all don't want to help me today. So if I say join me in the fellowship of my suffering, then why would you go through all of this? Because this is who I really am. I really do love God. It really is for Christ I live and for Christ I die. And I really do believe in his kingdom. And his kingdom really is coming. And there really is a heaven. And there really is a hell. And it's all is not for nothing. And God has a plan. And I am his vessel. And nothing proves that in you like pain. Standing all over the house. Nothing does that like pain. This kingdom experiences suffering because suffering helps you to identify who you really are. Yes, it does, baby. Yes. It helps you identify who you really are. It brings to the surface stuff you don't want to see. And it shows your struggle that you don't want to see it. The fact that you don't want that there lets you know your real intentions. Oh, I wish I didn't respond like that. Lord, help me. Oh, I wish I didn't feel like that. I wish I didn't want to quit. See, now this, this is the essence of who you are. 
your spirit, your spirit was dead. Then it became alive when you are born again. That means your nature comes alive. Till then, you're dead. You're plugged up to a machine, getting pumps of whatever Satan wants to give you to keep you feeling somewhat comfortable so you won't question. And that God comes and unplugs you and drops you in a world of pain and suffering only for you to recognize what real truth is and it's not worth letting go of the reality. I'd rather move my real limbs. Come on, somebody. I'd rather eat this mush knowing that I'm eating. I'd rather know the truth and walk in the truth than to live, up plugged, live plugged up to a fantasy. I'm already dead over here, over there. I'm alive here. I'm alive. As I pushed my Ikea cart through the store, <laughs> the pain got worse and worse. And I said, why are you doing this? And all I could think was, it ain't bad enough for me to stop. This is what I thought. It's not bad enough for me to miss the good day I have to do all this shopping. If I don't do it today, then the man can't pick it up on Saturday and I can't get the, done, the room done on Saturday. Has to be today. The pain is not bad enough for me to stop. Some of you say the reality is not bad enough for me to want to live a lie. It's not bad enough for me to want to numb myself. I don't like it, but I can still function. Come on, somebody. I wish it wasn't there, but it ain't going to stop no show. As a matter of fact, the fact that I'm doing it with it kind of makes me feel like a, like a hero a little bit. Like, I feel, I feel very hooray. Look at me. I'm doing the thing with the shingles. Look at it. 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 You feel, it's because Mr. Moses had shingles. <laughs> you feel like you're doing something. You're living. You're living. You're being more of who you were created to be than you ever were. I can't describe it until you jump. I can't let you know until you're made new. You feel more of who you're really meant to be, not an image of it. You actually taste the kingdom. You actually see the kingdom. You actually breathe the kingdom. And it is way different than what you think about. Satan is programming substitutes. This is what happiness should feel like. And this is, what, this is what joy should feel like. This is what love should feel like. And these are all programmed substitutes because when you taste it, you can taste it's fake. You can taste that love ain't real. This, this money ain't the answer. This situation that you can taste it is not authentic. So even though what I'm eating is mush, every ounce of my taste bud can taste this mush. And I know that it's real. Even though I'm suffering, I know that it's real. I know that it's for the kingdom. I feel more myself than I ever did living over there. Come on and bless the name of the Lord.